Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, what an incredible week we had yeah, during the Masters. The tournament was phenomenal. Yeah, it really was. A little I bit mean, of rain here and there, but I think they managed it well. Unusual Sunday tea, you know, start times. Very but, unusual. Um, I liked it because it was over early. Yeah. And you kind of, you well, know. And they didn't. beat the storms, too. I think it was wise. I think it probably would have gone over into Monday if they hadn't have done that. That's right. Because, yeah. yeah, the storms were moving in, no doubt. And, uh, and the winner. What an, what an incredible oh, finish. Man. My Tiger. goodness, to see him come back and uh, complete that comeback with a Masters win the way he did. Is phenomenal, really. Yeah, usually on the back nine on Sunday, you're, you're, there's two people, maybe three people that are vying for that top spot. Yep. They were like eight to ten people that were just, you know, just jockeying position. It was really incredible. Yeah, to see Tiger kind of play through that and not make any mistakes whatsoever, just, just you know, really focused and hit all the shots he needed to hit. What a great Masters. What a great weekend, you know. Uh, uh, just a great starts off to a great spring here. That's right. It? We got Easter. We do. This Coming weekend, right up. so yeah, Coming great, right up. great time of the year. It really is. So, uh, And we have an awesome show lined up for you, too. Um, you know, we're going to talk about, um, well, uh, second, we're going to talk about the 10 tips for online security. Yeah, that's a good good one because a lot of people are online these days. <laughs> Everybody's online. You know, you can't yeah. avoid it. And, uh, you know, your information is going to get hacked. Let's face it. And it always does from all these big institutions. Yeah. So how do you protect yourself in that environment? And so we're going to we got some great tips for that. Yeah, we're going to start off talking about um, some uh, money mistakes that uh, five money mavens, some folks that are uh, out in the industry have made and they kind of uh, told their their stories. And I'll, I'll fess up as well as we go through this. I've, I've made money mistakes before. Right. Absolutely. And, um, haven't we all? Yeah. Right. So we'll kind of dive into that. It's interesting of some things that you should not do um, when you're talking about finances. Yeah, I think those are really good. A lot of good, great lessons learned there. Um, by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 24 years experience of providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. We're excited to have you listening today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. We have a, a, a link to the podcast. You can go listen to the historical ones, but you can also listen directly from your computer you can download it in iTunes. There's a lot of different ways to get the podcast. And on the website, we also have a lot of videos and tools and calculators and so forth. Facebook page and also a Twitter handle, which is MoneyMD. And you can email us directly at info at MoneyMD.net. We'd love to hear from you. And you can link to us from our website um, as well. So uh, email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. We're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, kind of a master's fact a little bit. You know, Tiger, we said, just won the, the 2019 Masters, but his last major win, Steve, was 11 years ago in the U.S. Open, 2008. Wow. Long yeah. time. And, That's a um, long time. Yeah, I saw an interview after, uh, I guess it was on Sunday after the win, and um, just his his perseverance was very impressive. And obviously, he had a lot of personal and relational issues, which, um, you know, started the downfall. But then he had a lot of medical issues, and he had a whole bunch of surgeries on his back. Had 11 surgeries overall over the last, I don't know, 11 years. And, uh, yeah, it was like four back surgeries, like four knee surgeries. And to imagine coming back 
to that level and, you know, play at that level after that is phenomenal. It, it is. And he never gave up. That was the thing that was really impressive. Uh, even as, you know, recent as 2017, you know, he had, um, I guess, OD'd on some, some medicine he was taking for his back. And, um, but he pulled himself up. And you think about, you know, financial struggles and success. I mean, it can happen that way sometimes. You know, you're going to have some issues financially. Just got to keep grinding, keep, you know, f- you know, focused on the future, you can't change the past per se, but you got to focus on the future. And I think that's what he did. I think that's one of the pe- reasons why people are excited and happy for him is he did go through a lot of struggles. And don't we all? I mean, we absolutely, all, we all have, all have issues. So uh, he he's kind of worked through them. And the medical piece out really is phenomenal. Yeah, and speaking of finances, you know, a few fun facts here about Tiger's finances, which are phenomenal as well. You know, it shows you what this perseverance has gotten him. He won $2,070,000 on Sunday Yeah, when he won the Masters. So over $2 million. He's won $118 million in his career, career winnings. But that's re- and it's, that's the, the highest over Phil Mickelson, $28 million more than Phil Mickelson, who's mm-hmm. won apparently about $90 million over his career so far. But he makes like $50 million a year from all the endorsements mm, and Nike contracts here. he has with Nike and those those type people tailor made and such. So uh wow, mm. I mean that perseverance, you know, that he has has mm. paid off in a huge financial way. Yeah. And I course, saw his net worth was about seven hundred and fifty million is the I, number I saw. I, I don't doubt it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean so he certainly hadn't gotten that from his winnings no. on tour. He's gotten yeah. it from all the endorsements and everything. He's I mean, he, he, he obviously moves the needle hugely oh, in, yeah. in, in terms of golf and uh, viewership and ratings. They had the highest ratings I think they'd ever had on a on a mm. sports event for, you know, Sunday morning. Um, so it was pretty, pretty yeah, amazing. Very cool. So, All right. Great topic there. Great financial fact. And that leads up to our first topic here, and that is the five money ravens, money, money mavens reveal there. <laughs> yeah. Their uh, most memorable mistakes. Yeah, this is from Bottom Line Personal. And, and Steve, you know, we've all made mistakes with money. Um, you hear Dave Ramsey talk about he went through bankruptcy. So he's got a lot yes. of experience. And you know, that's what motivated him now. But, um, you know, even some of the, the shrewdest financial pros have made um, some uh, some some blunders. And we're going to kind of go through those and kind of build off on them a little bit. And so the first one here is a, uh, is a chief investment officer for a, a financial advisory firm out of California, and this person was buying individual stocks. They uh, bought $50,000 in a uh, manufacturing company. <clears throat> the uh, It was a textile maker and uh, bought it at what they thought was a bargain, did a lot of research. You know, this really smart person, $12 a share. Um, but something unforeseen happened. The, the price of cotton soared and it uh, drove up the cost for textile makers. And um, then the stock dipped uh, eventually to $6 and he lost half of his 50000 Ouch. And uh, I think the takeaway from that is, is, you know, you can be really smart and have a lot of information about a company, but nobody knows the future. Um, and so investing in individual stocks is very risky. You can do well in them uh, for a period of time, but over time, I mean, the mutual fund managers don't typically beat their indexes, right? I they mean, don't. So an individual doing this is just, it's a losing proposition. Yeah, over a 15-year study, we've we repeat this. We we talked about the study before. Only 17% of mutual funds actually beat their index over a 15-year period. So most money managers don't beat their index. 
Uh, they won't, don't beat the asset class they're invested in. And that's why you can't pick individual stocks. As compelling as it was to buy this stock, um, you know, it's a lot of unexpected things can happen. Sure. That's why you have to diversify. Um, another mistake that was made here was not taking the required minimum distribution uh, from their IRA, and, and it resulted in a 50% penalty. Now, this is an attorney in Boston that specializes in estate planning, so pretty smart person. That's right. You okay. Know? All right. I didn't know that part of it. <clears throat> yeah. It was an attorney that did this. Yeah. So he said a few years ago, he decided to use the money from his RMD that he had been taking since age 70 and a half. So this is an older gentleman. Um, and as required by IRS rules, you have to take an RMD, but he wanted to contribute those to his favorite charities, which they allow you to do once you're over 70 and a half. And he was careful to follow the rules. He requested that his IRA provider send him nine checks payable to nine different charities. So he got the checks. He mailed them to the charities well before the December 31st deadline that year, but he didn't notice that one of the checks he sent, um, he did not get a receipt back for it. And then in February the following year, he received a surprise notice from the IRA provider. Turns out that one of those charities had never received the check, never cashed the check, and his IRA provider had added that amount back to his account, which meant he had a shortfall of $500 in his RMD for that year that had just ended. So he quickly got a new check. He resent it to the charity, but by the time he did that, he owed the IRS a $250 penalty on that underpayment, under distribution for his RMD. Yeah, small amount, but still. Exactly. So what he learned was you can't rely on the financial advisor or the broker or or the institution to to take your correct RMD from your IRAs or other retirement accounts. Um, you know, even if you've requested a distribution, if it somehow fails, it can happen and they won't know that. So you should always do a final review in late December. Make sure you're in compliance with the rules regarding RMD distributions. And the good news is, is the IRS does give seniors a break if there is a mistake that is deemed to be uh, beyond their control. And in this case, he actually spent months of uh, writing letters and documentation, obviously a lot of aggravation. And the IRS, uh, you know, ultimately agreed with him, so he didn't have to pay that mistake. But, um, you know, it is, uh, that's important. 50% penalty is huge. That's big. <clears throat> so the next mistake here is... Um, doing a, a large loan to a close f family member. And, uh, you know, this person um, who is a uh, actually a founder of a financial advisory firm in, um, in New Jersey, so another, another smart individual, CFP, you know, um, but did a loan, a six-figure loan. They drew up uh, a promissory note, um, but he never really considered, you know, what happens if the family member can't repay. I mean, this person mm. couldn't get a loan from a bank, mm. Yeah, and that's what banks do. Exactly. Banks yeah. give loans. Yeah, if you can't get a loan from a bank, then <laughs> there's a obviously yeah. there's a significant <laughs> credit risk here. There's a problem. So, um, uh, long story short, the the individual got sick, wasn't able to to pay on this. Um, he had to shell out uh, twenty thousand dollars to to cover some of the taxes, municipal taxes on the property. Um, so this three year loan 
which was at a 6% rate, which is, was attractive, has turned into a 12-year loan that may never fully be repaid. So again, loaning money to family members, six figures, that's a big number. Um, it's a big number. You really got to almost consider it a gift because if they don't pay, it's going to ruin the relationship. No doubt. So the lesson learned here is, you know, no matter how business-like you are, it is not smart to loan money to family and friends unless you're going to be okay, both financially and emotionally, if it's not paid back and it turns into a gift. Um, in fact, I think it's better just to do a gift in the first place mm-hmm. and not even call it a loan, you know, if you're really tending to do that. Because what the studies show, a study by Linden Tree found that relatives on average only get back 57% of the amount they loan to family and friends. Hmm. So 57%, you're going to lose 43% of the time. You know, I either just don't do it or gift it. Or gift it. Yep. You know, I mean, the odds are so bad that that's going to turn out bad and ruin a relationship mm-hmm. that you, you either just need to not do it or, or make it a gift. Um, but this guy is the uh, co-founder of an advisory firm. You know, with more than $250 million in assets. So, you know, not quite as big as us, but still, I mean, yeah. they're an advisory firm that, you know, they should know better. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure he's not going to make that mistake again. So, nope. um, and another mistake here is uh, this gentleman or this lady is a professor of law at uh, the Missouri School of Law in Columbia, Missouri. So, again, another well educated. She bought that, she bought a house um, back in 2016. Uh, she wanted to take advantage of the low mortgage rates before they uh, rose. Um, she also wanted to avoid the expense and um, bother of putting her possessions in storage and having to do a major move twice. Um, so in just two days of looking, she felt pressure to buy a new home. Uh, the inspection turned up a lot of problems. The real estate agent said, eh, these are minor issues. Well, long story short, because she didn't do her due diligence and spend a little bit more time on this very large purchase, uh, it turned out to be a money pit, and it required tens of thousands of dollars to fix it. So sometimes, you know, slow down. You know, you don't have to make these decisions um, overnight. Take, exactly. take time. And that's a huge purchase. I don't, it doesn't say how much it was, but a uh, big deal when you're buying a house. When you're buying a house, yeah. And I see this happen so often. People are moving. They want to buy the new house before they sell the old house, and they have two mortgages. And, you know, a lot can go long wrong there, so you have to be careful. But the lesson learned in this case is... You know, for much of the past decade, buying instead of renting seemed like a no-brainer, right? But renting can be much more financially efficient in the long run if it gives you time to do a thorough search and evaluate the realistic cost of owning a home. I mean, recently, rising mortgage rates and, and higher home prices in many areas have made the decision to buy even more complicated than it was before. The monthly cost of buying and owning a home were up 14% over the past year. It's more than three times the annual increase in rents nationally. Hmm. So, you know, you don't necessarily want to just jump right into to buying a house. You need to take your time and, you know, there's nothing wrong with renting. The cost of renting is much cheaper than owning a home. I mean, let's face it, even if they're the same size, you don't have to put the money into you know, redoing, putting up curtains and property taxes, all the yeah. decorations <clears throat> and property taxes and the yard, all that kind of stuff is usually taken care of if you're renting. So consider that very carefully. Yeah. And the last mistake here, Steve, is uh, the founder of a, uh, an investment advisory firm out of Arizona. And um, back in 2010, um, this person got a stock tip 
from a, a company called uh, Element 21, and it dealt with rare earth metals used in electric cars, up and coming missile guidance systems. That sounds really cool. Oh, that sounds cool. Yeah, you can't I mean, go I, wrong there. You can't. And this person had a friend who was a very successful businessman. And um, they said to this person, you know, buy this. These stocks are about to soar. So um, she was really intrigued by it and bought nearly $12,000 worth of shares. Um, It turns out that Element 21 was a sports equipment company focused on developing golf clubs using alloys of rare earth metal called scandium. So um, she lost 95% of her investment, didn't revolutionize the golfing industry. So without even knowing the company, she... She bought into this, um, yeah, you know, venture, and it was not even what she thought she was buying into. Ouch! Yeah, there you go. You know, you have to do your homework, and you have to you have to diversify. You can't try to pick individual yeah. stocks. So my mistake, one of my mistakes, um, when I was in college, uh, I bought um, Pan Am stock. Okay. Have you flown on Pan Am recently? Uh, not recently. Not recently. But, you know, they were a great old company. They at were. One time. They went bankrupt. <laughs> as there, I think almost every major airline has gone bankrupt yeah. in their history. Seven hundred dollars. It was a penny stock. Man, I had a lot yeah. of shares. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that was my my stock story. I don't Is that don't it? do stock. Yeah. 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 I've made lots of mistakes along the way. I'll, I'll recant recant one of them. When I first got into investing in mutual funds, since we're going way back, I've made more mistakes more recently but you know it was uh uh i bought i went and did the research i found the mutual fund that had made the highest return over like the previous five years mm. and i bought that fund and it was 20th century ultra fund oh yeah that was hot back, back in the 90s oh it was hot yes. i bought it after it made like 79 yep. percent the year before and it lost like 50 percent the next year mm-hmm. and you know of course i bailed out and uh uh, you know, I mean, it was just buying these little tiny hot growth stocks mm-hmm. that were tech companies or whatever they were. And I remember that fund. I owned that fund as well. They flopped <laughs> a big time, you know, and it, it, yeah. it eventually got merged away, went out of business or something. So that just goes to show you, you can't base it on past performance. Yeah, chasing returns is dangerous as well. Very, very dangerous. So. All right, good topic. And that leads up here to our question of the week. This question is about the returns of the stock market. I hear about returns of 10 or 12% over the long term. and um, But when looking back in the last 20 years, I see only about 6% um, for the for the S&P 500 index. And that would take us back into uh, 2000 and, and uh, or actually 1999 to 2018. And I think what's buried in there is that you have a, a, a you know a couple of bear markets. You have three bear markets in there. You had yeah. one in 2001 and 2002. You had a, a huge one, actually the second worst bear market in uh, the Great Recession in uh, 2008. That's right. Um, and then we just had another one in 2018. So there's some bad periods in there. If you extend it out another five years and go 25 years, it's been closer to 9%. So um, you know, is that the new normal is the question. And, uh, I mean, who knows what the new normal is going to be going forward. That's right. You, you, you got to diversify. You never know, but you got to diversify. You got to plan for the long term. Yeah. There's a lost decade in there. There was 10 years from 2000 to 2009 that the S and P 500 lost something like 1% per year for 10 years. Yeah. So <clears> you bury that in any, any law, you know, d- sh- shorter time period of only twice that long. Mm-hmm. And you're going to get a low number. So um, that's obviously not the norm. That that hadn't happened, you know, for 40 years before then, I yeah, believe. Right. So, 
you, you can't uh, you can't really factor that into the picture. But you know, good question of the week. Great question. That leads up to our next topic here, and that is ten tips for online security. And this is based on an article out of smartasset.com, um, Thomas Hill, very recently. And uh, but you know, John, I mean, you know, shopping and banking online now—they're kind of an unavoidable part of life, and it makes life very convenient. But it also makes us vulnerable to online threats from to fraud and identity theft. So, unfortunately, online fraud and theft, identity theft, they occur about every minute, with hmm. over 16 million incidents last year alone. You know, thanks to the clever thieves and and sloppy consumer internet habits out there. Um, about one of every 15 people will fall victim to online theft every single year. Hmm. Um, so it's very prevalent out there. Of course, online transactions always carry some risk, but consumers can do a lot of things to increase their security when they're out there on the Internet, um, you know, doing transactions. Yeah, identity fraud uh, activity equals over $21 billion in losses every single year. Equifax, by the way, was the most expensive uh, hack in history when they lost almost a half a million, uh, well, excuse me, half of Americans' information back in 2017. So half of all of America had all their information. One incident, yep. And Equifax pretty much has everything, by the way, Mm because they are the credit monitoring bureau, you know, the the credit rating bureau. They know a lot about you. They know a lot about you. Um, So they have information on everybody, whether you gave it to them or not, because all the credit cards, everybody uses them. Um, And so 147 million people, you know, lost their information through Equifax. That cost them about $439 million, by the way. So the statistics indicate, you know, that identity fraud incidents occur about every three seconds. And according to a report recently released, 42% of U.S. residents surveyed were victims of fraud by credit, debit, and prepaid cards during the past five years. So almost half of, of Americans. Um, one out of four people surveyed in 17 other countries reported uh, victimization by card fraud. So, yeah, yeah, that's it's happening. Yeah, it no doubt. And so, what are some things to protect yourself? Um, this this article and this gentleman says credit cards offer more protection for consumers than debit cards when fraudulent transactions occur. I know Dave Ramsey would would uh, would disagree with that. I mean, I've heard him talk a lot about it. He mm. he thinks and he says Visa will cover this on a debit card and so forth. But you know, you really need to read the fine print um, on your on your card agreements, whether mm-hmm. it's credit or debit. Find out the protections and limitations for the cards. Uh, reports, you know, show consumers are more active and educated about the uh, the risk of online, you know, transactions in the past year. Over 50% of the study respondents were using a service to monitor for fraud on their accounts, and 15% of individuals who were actually victims of fraud had become uh, had begun avoiding smaller internet retailers after the um, incident of identity theft. So they pretty much stuck with some of the large, you know, like the Amazons of the world, and they had a uh, lower level of losses. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, debit cards I think are better than, <clears throat> than credit cards. We, you know, we we uh, encourage people to use sure. debit cards. And I think just, there are protections. You're going through Visa. There's there's an issue of them pulling the money out of your account, right? That could cause right, a right. a problem um, from a f- cash flow standpoint. But um, 
Yeah. And PayPal's good. It pulls your money directly mm-hmm. out of your bank account. Yep. So, <clears throat> but anyway, but here are some of the key steps you can take to help secure your information and data when you're shopping and banking online. Um, <clears throat> the first one is, of course, passwords. Okay, you have to use a hard-to-guess password that contains at least eight characters, like we talked about last mm-hmm. week, I mm-hmm. think, in yep. our our fact of the week. Um, you know, there's, <clears throat> you don't want to use any words. You want to use upper, lowercase letters, numbers, and symbols. Um, I kind of like a formula-based password so that you can have a chance of remembering it, but it has to be complicated so that no one else can guess it. Um, so, <clears throat> But don't use the same username, password for all your online accounts. You know, change the critical ones, such as a bank or shopping sites, as often as you can, but they recommend every three months. And then sign up for two-factor authentication if it if it's offered um, where you can get a code every time you log in, where they send you like a code to your cell phone. Mm-hmm. Um, don't share your passwords or your user information, of course, with anybody. Uh, recent scam involved an email that appears to be from the, the Internet provider requesting that information. So Internet providers, banks, credit cards, uh, reputable Internet businesses, they'll never contact you to request your password or your username and always be suspicious whenever you see a link, you know, that says hey, you need to go verify your information because that link usually a lot of times is just a, a phishing, mm-hmm. you know, expedition. They want you to click on a bad link that doesn't send you to the real site. It's a spoof site. So you need to go directly to your login, you know, site and not use links um, that ask for that kind of information. Uh, and also, I mean, don't use a cloud based password manager um let's face it i mean everybody's been hacked equifax the the veterans administration marriott sony microsoft the irs discover they've all been hacked in the past few years so eventually all the big companies are going to get hacked and because i mean when they do you'll lose all your passwords and information (laughs) so you don't really want to have that out there on the web so um we recommend you keep that locally you know on your own computer not have it out there on the uh, on a cloud-based server. So um, that's password. Yeah, and so when you're doing online shopping, uh, make sure you log out of the site, uh, whether you're on your bank or merchant site or credit card, debit card, whatever, um, after you've completed your transaction. Log out. Don't allow the computer to store the name and the password. You know, I get a little pop-up that says, hey, do you want to store this? And I always say, no, I don't want to store it. And when setting up security questions for sites online, use false information. Don't give them your real birth date. And I think you've done that in the past with Facebook, yep. right? And yeah. People yeah. made fun of you. Exactly. And, yeah. Uh, until everybody got hacked. And then you're like, ah. Yeah, that's right. I was a genius. <laughs> that's right. I? <laughs> Good idea. There you go. Um, yeah. Another one here is use secure e-commerce websites. You know, whenever you're paying for your merchandise, um, you know, use a reputable third-party service like PayPal for online security transactions when possible. I mean, those sites provide much more secure transactions. They have they have dispute resolution services, so they'll own up to it if there's a problem. Um, you know, secure online transactions should occur only on a website that begins with HTTPS backslash backslash. So you got to make sure that S is in there. Don't trust a vendor without the S after HTTP because that's not a secure site. Do you have to put www after that? It's not encryption. Uh, No, you don't, John. (laughs) What does that stand for? World Wide Web. You don't remember that? Didn't uh, Al Gore create the internet? Yeah, I think he did. I think he did. 
So we're not to shop. You know, don't shop, don't pay bills or access your bank or credit card websites using public Wi-Fi. Um, you know, shop from home, only on secured Internet connections. Um, if you are in public, I would suggest you use a a personal hotspot mm-hmm. on your phone to access it from a computer. If you're going to use your computer, don't log in to like, you know, the 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 free Wi-Fi, you know, at your restaurant or something to do some kind of shopping. Um and uh, don't use easy pay payment options um, or one-click ordering. It takes a few seconds to enter a name and a password on a merchant site, but it often takes months to recover from online credit card thought fraud. And as we just mentioned, they're eventually going to be hacked. So don't save your credit card, I mean, your uh, uh, username passwords on their site. And then use the most up-to-date version <clears throat> of your Internet browser. Um, you know, the the most recent technology uh, to scramble and protect data um, sent via the web. So you want to make sure you have up-to-date, every, you've up late, updated your internet browser Yeah, very often. Yeah, and, and some other things that you can do out there is um, authentic websites, they'll post the VeriSign. You can actually click that VeriSign logo. Make sure the site that you're on is... Um, is is good. Um, so the sites that are that are um, have been verified by VeriSign will have that little logo. Then also only use one card for online purchases. It limits your exposure. You can use prepaid debit cards uh, as well as an option. Yeah, and I'll run through a few <coughs> others here quickly. Um, you know, keep great records. Um, you know, just want to make sure that you you um, you know have all your information in a secure place. Use firewalls, antivirus software. Make sure it's up to date. That you always have antivirus scans that are run daily on your computer. Um, you know, don't don't put your exact birth date on social networking sites. You know, as we just alluded to. So keep your information uh, very very secure. Um, you know, don't put your cell phone number out there on websites as well. Be careful about that. And uh, you know, just just have email security. You know, instance message chat request or internet sites that appear su- suspicious. You know, close your browser um, and your email programs. Shut down your computer for a time if you you know start having problems. When you restart your computer, run a full virus spyro scan uh, before you log back into the internet. So um, you know, and then if you do, and also check your credit your credit uh, report. Once a year, mm-hmm. you know, go to Equifax, Experian, TransUnion. You can get those credit reports for free to make sure there's no suspicious activity on your credit file. All right. And that leads us up here to our prescription of the week. Yeah. Now may be a good time to, to reassess your risk level for your investments. Um, if you were tempted to go more conservative uh, during the bear market uh, in the fourth quarter and uh, particularly in December, um, now may be a good time to reduce that stock exposure if you didn't make any of those changes last year. The markets are up pretty significantly in the first, um, you know, three and a half months. Um, so, you know, now now may be a time to to dial it back. If what what we went through in 2018 was a scary process for you, then maybe you need a little bit more bonds in your in your mix. That's right. I mean, we're not saying that markets are high and that they're no. going to go down or anything. But yes, if you went through that bear market late last year and you were uncomfortable and you were thinking that you might wanted to get out somewhere along the way, 
then it might be time to reassess your risk. And now would be a good time because markets are back up. So if, we, if you took a breather back then and hung on, you know, with your fingernails, then now might be a time to dial it back a little bit to a more comfortable position now that you kind of, in retrospect, can see what you've been through. Mm-hmm. So good prescription of the week. All right. And that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net, and email us your questions at info at moneymd.net, or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 